0: All right, good morning Trinity Church, how you doing? Hey, can we thank the worship team? What a great job. Uh, well, it is good to see you. I don't know about you, I, it's amazing what one hour extra of sleep can do. I just feel so energized. I didn't even need coffee this morning, it was great. How many of you um, went to bed at the same time as normal but just enjoyed the extra hour? Raise your hand, let me see who you are. Okay. How many of you, for some reason, went to bed even earlier, and so you got mega sleep last night? And then, how many of you went to bed, went to bed an hour late or later, and it doesn't even matter, right? Okay. Good. All right. Good to know. All of our high school students. Awesome. Good to know. So you're with me. Okay. Well, it's great to see you today. We, I'm just so glad you're here. We're gonna keep diving into this idea, this book of Ephesians. You'll notice if you saw on on social media that we're talking about marriage today in Ephesians 5, and you'll notice this was the post that we put. Someone sent this to me, though, in their Facebook feed was not only our kind of post about marriage, love, and respect, but look beneath it, uh, code 415, domestic, male and female hitting each other at Orange and Colton in Redlands. What not to do in your marriage, okay? So what to do, what not to do. The irony was thick. I had to share it with you. I thought it was great, okay? So we'll, we'll assume today, we, our culture says one thing, God's word says another. What we're in, we're in this series called This is a Football, Alfredo, way to go. It was nice serving with him, you know? So uh, <laughs> for our purposes, this has been a football. And uh, what we're doing, we're trying to get on the same page with God about his church, that's what this whole idea, Vince Lombardi quote, starting back to basics and our, and our new season together, wanting to have the same idea of what God says his church is to be about. We want to not only know that from him, but we want to know it together so we can move forward together in that arena. What we found in the book of Ephesians, if you have your Bible, by the way, you can open it there today, Ephesians chapter five. If you have notes in your worship folder, you can get those out. We'll use them in a minute. We started the book of Ephesians, first half of the book learning about what it means to be in Christ, what it means to be identified with him, having been bought from the slave block and brought into the the father's home. What does that now mean to be in Christ? Now, the second half of the book is working out that reality. What are the implications of being in Christ, and how do we live according to whose we are? That's what we've been kind of walking through, and we've seen some great examples of, of God's getting messy in our lives. He's messing with stuff that like, oh, this is what this means, or now that you're no longer in that old way of life, here's what the new family culture looks like, and, and I'll say the, the worst thing you can do in this part of Ephesians is think that, oh, here's the rule book. You know, here's the things now, the checklist, things you got to do. God's not saying that at all. God's saying that in your former way of life, you lived on your own as an orphan, and, and it didn't get you far. It didn't go well. Now in my family, let me show you the way. Let me show you my design for every facet of your life. Don't see it as a checklist. Don't see it as a list of rules. See it as a new family culture that he invites you, directs you to join. Now, last week, we were in the middle of chapter five, and where we left off, we found really two things. Number one, live strategic, live purposefully in the way you live because the time is short. And then it finished with be being filled. Be being filled by the Spirit of God. And and as we left that, we saw there were four implications. What is the evidence? What does it look like to be being filled? You will do these things. Well, look in your Bibles. The last of those four verses is actually Ephesians 5.22, and this is how that left us. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That word is actually a participle, so you might say it's submitting, kind of assuming this reality, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And we're gonna see that word now played out and what we're gonna do in the next couple chapters of Ephesians, we're going, or the next part of Ephesians, we're gonna see what does that look like in relationship to certain types of relationships, meaning submit to one another doesn't mean someone walks up to you on the street, says they're a brother or sister in Christ, and says, now do what I say. That's not all what that verse means. It says, in the relationships where God has established leadership and followership, live accordingly. Today, we're looking at the relationship of marriage. Next week, we'll look at the relationships of parenting and children so I'm not just looking here, but obviously at some of us. And then also that of work, an employer-employee relationship. So we'll kind of break those down and we're going to see what that looks like. Now this one I thought was really cool. Someone reminded me this week that, you know, when we talked our very first time together back in August, we looked at a covenant together. We said, hey, as we, as we journey forward, let's go together and let's, let's, in a sense, commit to one another. Let's promise that we will be a people that we're going to live this way. And, and this is actually a very key part of the covenant that you signed, if you did. It's the second point. For those of us who are married, to value our spouses and our need to remain connected to them because we honor God when we love our spouses according to his design. Now, for some of us today, we might say, man, I really signed that thing way too quickly. I don't know what I was thinking. But today, we're going to unpack that reality. And Here's what we're going to find. Though God didn't, in Ephesians 5, give us a marriage manual, He gave us some incredible truth, incredible design about how this unique gift, this relationship is supposed to work. And I will tell you, in all of the marital counseling I've done and And for 14 years, my life was thick with meeting with couples or individuals to talk about their marriages. And no matter what the examples were, as we began to talk and boil it down, it's as though my Bible almost naturally opens to Ephesians 5 now when I talk to a couple, because this truth we're going to look at today is so foundational, so pivotal to all the aspects of what it is to live out your marriage. Now, I want you to know this topic today of marriage is for everyone in the room. Okay? If you're here today and you're married, duh, it's for you. Okay? If you're here and you're not married yet, meaning you're considering it in the future really close, like you might be engaged or you might be 13. Okay? No matter where on that spectrum, today is critical because it's not just hearing, but it's embracing this is the kind of response one day I ought to have to my spouse. And if you can grab hold of this, you will be way ahead of the curve of all the rest of us who wish we had. Maybe you're here today and you have been married and you process this truth in Ephesians 5 and you go, I see so clearly why this response is so absolutely critical from my point of view, from my role that I fit or uh, played out. Or those of you who are here today and you're like I'm I'm just never getting married. I'm against the whole thing and I'm really glad you're here today if that's where you're at because I get it. You've been around examples that have lived out some semblance of a marriage not according to God's design at all and you're just over it. I'm glad you're here today because I want you to hear what God has to say and my hope would be that you would see just the value and the wisdom of what God has done. Now, I say the word marriage, it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So I don't want to assume we mean the same thing. So let's start back to basics. First off in your notes, who are the participants? Who who ought to consider getting married? In your notes, it is one man and one woman covenanting with one another for their lifetimes. That's the most basic participant definition I can come up with. One man, one woman covenanting with one another for their lifetimes. This is what it, the Bible says Jesus quoting Genesis 2, Matthew 19. I just said like all these different things at once. I'm sorry. Jesus in Matthew 19. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Watch this. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So this is God's design, the participants of marriage. Secondly, what are the roles? What are the roles within marriage? Well, biblically, a husband has the role of being a head the head of that relationship. Husband as head is a biblical design. It's actually very um, intrinsic and very connected to our passage today, quoting from Ephesians 5.23, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. Now let me say this. Every time that I've done premarital counseling with a, uh, a couple, I'm looking at the guy, looking at this fiance, and I'm telling him, welcome to leadership. And he looks at me like, well, I'm I'm not a leader. I said, well, by nature, you are now or going to be because that's the nature of being a husband to a wife is you're providing leadership in the relationship. Secondly, the other role, wife as helper. Wife as helper. And what do I mean by that? I mean, initially, as soon as you hear that word, you think diminutive, don't you? You think, oh, okay, husband is leader and wife just cleans up behind, behind him. I'm the helper, you know, kind of thing. And we don't have time to unpack this role like I would like to today. We will get there. In 2017, we're planning a family series, but let me say this at least for now. Jesus on the last night before which he's going to the cross, he's with his closest friends. And when they are at the greatest moment of grief and fear about him saying that he's repeatedly, that he's leaving, he tells them that the Holy Spirit something that has been very vague taught in the former covenant in the Old Testament, but the Holy Spirit's going to come, and he is going to be their what? Their helper. Now, if very God can be given this term of helper, wives, please don't feel in any way slighted that that same term would be given to you. We need to think biblically and not according to what the culture would suggest So just let me say that for today. It goes all the way back, Genesis 2.18. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So the participants in a marriage relationship, the role or the, the, yeah, the key roles in a marriage relationship, it brings us today, what are the responses? What are those people's responses within their marriage? And we're gonna leave them blank because that's what we're talking about, okay? Number one, dive in your notes. Wives are to follow their husband's lead. In your notes, wives are to follow their husbands' lead. Here we are today, we're picking it up, Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Ladies, we got a tough day in front of us. Number one, we already start with a diminutive term. You feel lesser compared in the culture by being called a helper, even though you ought not. And now secondly, the the right response, the God-ordained response of you to your husband is that of submission. There are very few dirtier words in our culture than submission. Nobody wants any part of it. So let's unpack it and let's see it biblically rather than from the culture. But let's start there. Look at the screen. This is what the culture says related to submission. Submission means these things in that mind. Number one, it's a sign of weakness. Submission is generally understood as a sign of weakness. Secondly, submission is proof that someone else is stronger. That's what it means. Otherwise, you wouldn't submit unless you had to. Third, when you don't get control of your own decisions, that's what submission is. You're out of control of what you want to do. And fourth, submission is some. Thing that no one wants to willingly engage. You only do it if you must, but not because you would. Now, these are all things that our culture generally says these are true related to the concept of submission in 2016. However, look at the last one. Submission is, uh, I'll read it, a sign when you are be being filled with the Spirit according to Ephesians 5:18 and 21. Submission is a working out. Submission is an evidence of the fact that you are being filled with the Spirit of God. That's what we looked at last week. As a result of being filled with the Spirit, you ought to do these things. The last in that sequence of four, submit to those. Submit to one another as unto the Lord. So ladies, wives, today I want you to see this. That though the culture screams that submission is weakness, And submission is not something you ought to attain or or want to be a part of. Instead, biblically speaking, we're saying it's an evidence of getting under the God-ordained leadership in your life. The original Greek word that we're looking at today, this word of submitting, in its passive or middle voice, which is what it is, it denotes a role of choosing, choosing to volitionally get under the leadership of another. So according to these words in Ephesians 5, God's design is that a wife submits that she gets under the leadership of her husband. Now, I want you to say, hear this from the very beginning, don't check out. Maybe okay, the easiest thing to go, Todd's a moron, I don't like what he's saying, I'm done. Track with me, track with me. First off, notice this. Notice that a wife's submission to her husband is somehow similar to how she is to submit to the Lord's leadership that phrase we read, as you do to the Lord, okay? Now, that's not saying that your husband is of the same character and the same sinlessness of Jesus because you both know he's not. You're over that, okay? You know where your husband is. Your husband better know where he is, and he's not Jesus. But as I'll explain in a moment, it's in the same vein. It's in the same manner because they both involve trust, they both involve trusting the leadership of someone else. Secondly, your husband's leadership is not based on his stellar qualities for the job. When you looked at his resume, it's not like he just killed it in all these leadership areas of his life, so you know he's going to be awesome with you. But it's based on God's ordained role of leadership. And your response of submission towards his towards that God-given role is the right response, the Ephesians 5.21 response towards someone in a God-given role of leadership. Let me give you a a couple qualifying statements, a couple clarifying ones. Number one, submission is not to be equated with being a doormat. Submission is not to be equated with being a doormat to be walked upon or someone who has no input, but that of a willing participant who gets under another's leadership. Meaning, you can see this term as so passive And by the way, I've done a lot of marital counseling, and sometimes I've talked with an individual or a couple, and the wife is telling me her understanding of submission. And it's very much this idea that God is honored when I just lay down and let my husband walk all over me. And I'm saying, I don't see that in this passage. What I see is a willing participant who says, I'm going to follow your leadership. And those are two very, very different things. And I know often we equate, well, that's what submission means. You're just a doormat, not a bit. We'll see it unpacked today. Number two, second clarifying statement is this. There are always extreme examples of why you wouldn't continue to be submissive to your husband because it violates another principle of God's design. Listen to what I'm saying there. There are times they're extreme. And I don't mean extreme like they never happen. I mean extreme because of the nature of what the issue is when we would say, but there is a higher principle that you actually need to engage. For instance, you are not being a submissive wife because your husband slaps you around and you gets angry, when he gets angry and you just take it. That's not submission, that's called abuse. And if that's happening in your home today, you need to call the authorities and you need to get help. Don't miss that. That's not submission. And there's a higher calling related to what God has laid out. Need to establish the concept of authority today. Here's, this is so key. When, when, when Paul jumps to this issue, he's talking to first century Ephesus and this Greek culture of which there are some former Jews and, 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 and Gentiles that are now coming together to make one new humanity. We learn that in Ephesians 2 and 3. He's trying to help them make sense of this marriage relationship, and marriage is bad and struggles in 2016 in America today, but I will tell you, in the first century, it was a semblance of marriage at best, especially in an unbelieving Gentile pagan world that Rome dominated. So when Paul's saying this stuff, it's like rocket science, like they've never heard this stuff before. And there's an understanding where we have to kind of establish authority today in this marriage relationship. The Ephesians were already beginning with that. We'll unpack this this and next, but the Ephesian husband in his family was seen as a small king. A small king related to his wife, a small king related to his children, a small king related to his slaves. You don't cross him, he just has authority. So we have to establish right authority, just like Paul did But today, we kind of begin with this place where we don't function that way. That's not a bad thing that we don't, but let me establish it this way. In a relationship, in something like a marriage, there needs to be an understanding of not just roles but responses, and leadership and authority are key. Let me give you this illustration. So in my home, my wife and I are incredibly blessed to have this great gift of a 16-year-old daughter who provides free babysitting. Right? Aliyah, where are you at today? I didn't see when you came in. Okay, so there's Aaliyah. So Aaliyah is this great gift to us because normal, before, when our kids were younger, right, you always got to gotta, uh, you know, barter and peace out with some other person. You, you bring them into your home, you pay them, you drive them back home, and you're like, this is going to get easier someday, I hope. They're called teenagers, right? It works, okay? So Aaliyah is our domestic servant, okay, in our home. And so... <laughs> What we have her do is that when we go out, this is what we do. I, I, I try to make a habit of, of most every time. Joanna and I try to get out pretty consistently for a date. And we'll get um, Aaliyah there along with Kendi and Ellie, okay, my three girls. And we'll, we'll get them together, and this is what I'll tell them. This is the, re- the rehearsed speech that they know. We begin with um, Kendi and Ellie, and I say to the girls, I say, hey, here's the deal. Mom and dad are going out. We're, we're leaving Aaliyah in charge. As we do, I want you to do everything that Aaliyah asks you to do. And and even if you hate it, and even if you don't like it, and even if you think it's wrong, do it anyway, and then when I get home, we'll evaluate. But just know this I'm not gonna evaluate you based on how Aaliyah leads, I'm gonna evaluate you based on how you follow. Then I talk to Aaliyah, I say, Aaliyah, we're leaving you in charge. You wear the mantle of authority. I'm not here, you're acting in my stead lead well. And when I get home, I'm going to ask, how did it go? And I'm going to ask not only if they followed your leadership, but I'm going to find out, did you lead well? And I'll hear from both of them. And we'll go out on our date. And when we come back, that's exactly what happens. If we come back and it's after they're already in bed, we'll talk the next morning. Basically, Kendi and Ellie, did you follow your sister's lead? Yes or no? Aaliyah, how did you do at leading well? And we'll evaluate them based on what they're role was before we left, what we empowered before we left. Simple question for today, is this passage in Ephesians any different than the illustration I just gave you? We learned all the way back in Ephesians 1 that we have a good, good father. And what he said is, he's taken some of his kids, they're called husbands, and he said to them, I'm gonna be gone for a while. And while I'm gone, I'm putting you in a role of leadership, you in a role of authority. And as I do, I'm gonna give you clear instruction on how to lead well, but that's your role and your response. And then God says to some of his other kids, they're called wives. He says, in this relationship, I'm gonna put your husband in a position of leadership and authority. I'm gonna have you in a position of followership. You're supposed to follow his lead. And and when I come back, I'm going to hear also how well you did with that. Is this any different? And to me, when I can process marriage through the lens of not does she deserve it, not does he deserve it, but what does our dad say? What should we be doing in the meantime until he comes home? When I can process marriage through that lens, I can do this a lot better. Because here's what I realized. Number one, as a husband, watch this. I'm not going to be responsible for how well my wife responds to me. She is. Conversely, my wife is not going to be responsible for how well I lead. I am. And if we'll get that right, we'll see where authority comes from, where leadership comes from, then all of a sudden, some of this stuff makes sense. Some of this stuff looks like, okay, even if you're not doing your job well, even if you're not doing your job at all, I still know what I'm called to and what I'm supposed to do in the marriage relationship. As we process this idea, I want you to hear this too, by the way, when I leave my girls under Aaliyah's care is there any reason you would think that I love Aaliyah more than them? That's silly. You have kids. You love them all wonderfully, equally well. I don't love Aaliyah more. I've just given her a different role. And when I talk to Kendi and Ellie, my love for them extends to how well did you lead and how well did you, make lead, or did you follow and how well did you make leading a blessing? I love to hear that kind of response. It has nothing to do with value or love. It has to do with the fact that there needs to be leadership. Some of this may beg the question in your mind, why does anybody need to be in charge? If you're asking that, you don't have kids. <laughs> it's called anarchy and chaos, okay? There's no way that works. And, and why? We, we get it. We actually chuckle and we get it. We get that that works among our kids, why would that be different from a heavenly father's perspective to his kids? It's kind of let them all just figure it out. A lot of us have taken that road. We found out that also doesn't work. So in any relationship that requires decision-making, there has to be someone who provides leadership. It does not need to be a dictator, and we're going to find that out today. Clearly, that's not at all God's design, but someone who is providing the tie-breaking vote in that equation. Husbands, I want you to hear this today. If you're here today and you feel like somehow your wife has the easier job, (laughs) I would be be in counseling situations and I'm talking to a couple and and once in a while I would hear a husband say that. It is really hard to lead, Todd. You don't understand. She's got it easier. I just kind of cringed because A, I I didn't want to actually look at his wife's face in that moment or whatever else you might be doing. Um, But But then I also, my heart broke for him because I realized you don't get it at all. This is what your wife, husbands, this is what your wife is doing if she's living out God's design in your marriage. If if you could somehow tangibly put her well-being, if you could put that in some sort of package, she is taking her well-being and putting it in your lap and saying, please don't screw it up. Because if I'm going to follow your leadership, I've got to trust, and that is hard. That is a day-by-day, moment decision to trust your leadership. And when we said earlier that this idea of following a husband's leadership is like following Jesus's, man, in some ways, ladies, you'd say the church, right? That's the illustration. Church equals wife, Jesus equals husband. The church has it a lot better off because Jesus doesn't mess up like my husband does. This is a huge, huge challenge. But I will say, wives, this role is anything but passive. I get that. And I want to encourage you. That's what's so great about the word, encouragement and means to give courage. I want to somehow give you courage today to embrace not only the role but the response and see what God will do in your obedience. Number two, in your notes, Husbands are to sacrificially love their wives. Husbands are called to sacrificially love their wives. We pick it back up, Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church. Watch, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. Okay, let's unpack this. First idea, the husband's role is similar to that of Christ for his bride. That's one of the metaphors throughout the Bible that that God uses to help us get a better grasp of who he is. Things like good shepherd, shepherd-sheep relationship, things like king and, and those who are make up the kingdom. In this case, uh, Jesus as the husband, the church as his bride. So this picture is throughout the Bible, and as we see it today, we see that husbands, your response then to your wife is to be that kind of love that Jesus provided for the church. You're called to that sacrificial love. Now, in a world where love means everything and nothing, the the English word love has broken down so far that I could say the word and there would literally be 75 different versions of what that must mean. So let me help define it for you. Let me spell it out. The Greek word here is actually kind of oddly one you're very aware of if you've been in church for a while. It's that word agape. Interestingly, I think you're more familiar with the word agape if you've grown up in church or been around for a while than even the first century was. This wasn't a word they used because of what it entailed. Nobody wanted to love like this word means. This is the kind of love that was challenging to give because it was given with no expectation of receiving in return. Husbands, right now, your wheels are spinning. Ouch. A love that simply delights in giving versus a love that gives to get back. This love, men, exposes our selfishness like nothing else. Now, husbands, when you think about this idea, a love without conditions or expectations, You got to know today from the very beginning, I am an equal opportunity offender today, okay? I know that on both fronts, husbands and wives, you come in in relationship in view of God's word here, and we're both looking at ourselves going, I have a long way to go. This is not the way I normally live towards my spouse. This exposes some of the realities of the things that I do that I just thought were okay or we're just going to live with or deal. This is hard, But I want to tell you, this kind of love, husbands, is so very worth it. It's the kind of love that Jesus embodied that when he loved the church, it's selfless, it's sacrificial, and he found his joy in giving that would benefit his bride. Check out the great quote, C.S. Lewis, God loves us not because we are lovable, but because he is loved. Not because he needs to receive, watch, but because he delights to give. Jesus delights to give to his church. Husbands, we're called to delight to give to our wives. Here's how I break it down. Again, that word love means everything, so let's make it mean something. It's simply, guys, it means this. Check out the notes. What this kind of love means towards your wife is that you are going to meet her needs above yours 10 times out of 10. Just make it real simple. That's what this love looks like. This sacrificial love, you're gonna put her needs above your own 10 times out of 10. 10. Because I knew if I just said nine times out of ten, you'd think it's always the extra. Right? You gotta just make it solid, firm it up, okay? An aspect of a husband's sacrificial love towards his wife is here, it's seen here as a provision. That, that's what Jesus is doing for the church in Ephesians 5. He is providing for her. One of the pictures that you saw actually resembled the idea of a bride getting ready for her wedding. It's the same picture that God uses of Israel in Ezekiel chapter 16. He says, I'm taking you as my bride and I'm going to to clean you up. I'm gonna prepare you, adorn you with jewels to prepare you for this amazing new life together. It's the same picture from Ezekiel that Paul uses and employs now. Jesus' love for his church provides for her well-being, provides for her preparation so that she would be receivable to him. The second example is that idea. It says in the same way, husbands, when you love your wife, it's the idea when you care and put her provision as important, it's like how you love yourself. Now that, that's always an interesting topic for me. Some of us are of the persuasion that it's really hard for me to love others until I love myself. Men, let me make it clear. You love yourself enough. No need to work on that. Here's how I know that. When I say love yourself, here's what I mean by that. It's just basic. This is what I think God was after that whole time in in, uh, trying to, the idea, even that, well, doesn't doesn't it smack of this idea? When you hear this idea of love and, and loving yourself, what does that mean? Well, what did Jesus say? People are trying to back him in the corner, make him somehow trip. Of all the 600 odd commandments, Jesus, which one's the most important? Without hesitation, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But I can't just stop there. Love your neighbor as yourself. Guess what, men? Your wife is your closest neighbor. Love her like yourself. And the love her like yourself part means this. This is just exposes the reality of that you already do love yourself. You walk into some cafeteria setting and you go, oh, there's a, a, a bowl of bananas. I love a banana. You walk over, you don't look through the bananas to find out, well, which would be the one that I could take that's kind of spoiling and not that great so someone else doesn't have to take it later. Can I tell you, I have never thought that way. <laughs> what is the best looking banana? That's the one that's on my plate. I love myself that way. I just take care of me. Husbands, you do that. You take care of yourself. Here's what the Bible's saying. Love your wife to the degree that you take care of her first. With the same kind of provision, the same kind of way that you would look out for you, now look out for her. And consistent with the analogy that I employed earlier, dad has entrusted you with providing leadership over one of his kids, and he's going to evaluate your leadership when he returns. When it comes to your wife, leading means loving, and it means putting her needs above your own every time. But here's what I want you to see today. We didn't really delineate this well in your notes, but here's kind of the mission of marriage. What is is marriage really supposed to be all about? People see a reflection of Jesus and his bride when you live out these responses. Look at this, Ephesians 5.30. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, the two will become one flesh. We've quoted Genesis 2 twice today in the New Testament. This is a huge landmark passage. Watch. This is a profound mystery. But I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. By the way, that word mystery, remember how we've seen it a few times in the book of Ephesians? Mystery isn't that thing that the wizard is doing in his castle somewhere. Mystery means not previously revealed. The way that marriage, the the, the idea of what marriage is supposed to exemplify and demonstrate, up until there was a Jesus and his church was really veiled. What what marriage, what's the point? What are we trying to, to, to represent to a world? But Jesus and the church comes into being, and all of a sudden, now we have an application. As this picture of marriage was working through history, now we know what it was always showing when lived right. Jesus and the church. Number three today in your notes. The consistent responses of love and respect will energize your marriage like nothing else. The consistent responses of love and respect will energize your marriage like nothing else. Here's a book by the same title. Um, I can't Trinity has done some small group sessions and classes on this before. Egric's really what he does, he just plums Ephesians five. What does this mean? Look at the subtitle. The love she most desires, the respect he desperately needs. He just takes these few verses from Ephesians 5, writes a whole book about it, honestly could have written a whole library about it, because this is such a key core piece to your marriage functioning the way that God wants. Watch this. See, see this now. Pull out to 30,000 feet and look down on marriage just for a second and watch these truths. See what God is after in the responses we've looked at today for a wife or her husband. First off, as a wife might naturally struggle most. Ladies in the room today, if you were to go, what are the things that I fear the most, things I struggle with the most? Chances are kind of high on the the list would be the issue of control and trust. Those are very hard things to engage trusting someone, something else for your well-being. Isn't it interesting, though, that God directs you in the covenant of marriage to learn how to follow and submit? Husbands, As a husband might naturally struggle most with the issues of selfishness and ambivalence. Men, if you stop and consider your life and you're just kind of pull out the mirror, not out the window, and look a little bit, you kind of go, man, if I have to get honest with myself, I'd have to say selfishness is always at the door. It's just right there. I'm always thinking about how this benefits me. Then as God directs you in the covenant of marriage to love sacrificially and to put your wife's needs ahead of your own, Here's my point. I don't think these are coincidental. I don't think these responses are coincidental of what God asks a wife to do, what God asks a husband to do because they go to the very core of who we are. And guess what? Track this today. God is more interested in your holiness than in your happiness. And we'll get to that topic when we hit our... our, um, our family series in the fall. Now, let me, let me say this, though. That statement, though, you could interpret that as, oh, okay, didn't know that, Todd. I'm not supposed to be happy. This is great. Glad I signed up, okay? But in terms of priority, it's absolutely true. But let me walk this out for you, though. This is the thing. I, I said a minute ago, if husbands will live a life of sacrificial love, if wives will live a life of willing submission, guess what happens? You get this energy to a marriage that, and I've told so many couples before, God built this thing with incredible precision and design. Because when you will live out the roles, when you will live out the responses, there is this energy that continues to function in your marriage that you can't explain. Why do you wake up in the morning and you look at this and you go, this is a blessing in my life, not a burden? If you want to know the answer to that question, watch this. What wife? What wife who consistently has a husband, love her, doesn't mean what he says, it's what he does, has a consistently loving husband, sacrificing, sacrificing, I just made up a word, sacrificial husband. What wife who has that husband who meets her needs above her, his needs, a wife who's, a husband who's really great, okay? (laughs) I get so excited about this. What wife who's married to that guy, watch this, doesn't want to follow his lead because he's trustworthy. Because she knows, not just theoretically, but experientially, she knows he keeps putting her needs above his own. What wife doesn't want to follow that? Conversely, what husband? What husband whose wife willingly follows his lead, willingly is that encouragement in his life, doesn't want to sacrifice for her 10 times out of 10. Do you see what this does? When God exposes some of our greatest concerns and fears and says, in the other person, you can find a degree of satisfaction, a degree of fulfillment. You now, when you start doing this towards each other, you create an energy in your marriage that makes it what God always wanted it to be. I got to tell you, the hardest part for me of doing marriage counseling and And Joanna will be the first to tell you, I am by far that 10 out of 10 guy. Feeling really good if I'm 6 out of 10. But in that, the way we've walked these 23 years, there is this great sense of joy and blessing that I really believe we are to one another. So when I'm sitting across from a couple who's about ready to be done, or who is at least on the road there, my heart breaks because I know their marriage is a burden. God always intended it to be a blessing. And I really believe this is one of the main ways we get there. Now watch this. You might say today, Todd, that would be awesome. And by the way, if you thought this message is really good for your spouse, you weren't paying at all attention. <laughs> Track this. Was there ever once in what we read today in Ephesians 5, ever once the indication that once your spouse starts doing this, then you should? I never read it. You're simply called to what God has called you to in the marriage apart from whatever they are or are not doing. In your notes, this is where it reads. Read it, put it up on the screen. The key concept not to forget, God's directive for your response as a wife or a husband is not dependent upon your spouse behaving, responding how they ought. And I know that could sound so deflating today. Now, hey, Todd, this could be great. We could have a wedding, a marriage that is so blessed and so much a blessing in our lives, but I have a spouse who won't. And here's what I wanna say today. It's like me coming home and talking to my girls and them giving me excuses why they didn't do their part. Aaliyah saying, I couldn't lead because they wouldn't follow. Them saying, Aaliyah was harsh, therefore we didn't obey. I'm going to hold them accountable to what I asked them to do before I left. No matter what the other does. How different is that for you and me? Do what God has called you to do in your marriage. And watch this, let God work in your spouse's life. It is hard to do, but it is so worth it. Ladies, can I say this before I close? Um, I want to play a card, okay? Guys don't ever share this. We're always so, like, macho and the whole thing. Can I just say this? Here's a guy's secret. We're insecure. We're incredibly insecure. So track this. When you think about what, what you provide by way of, of encouragement and, and following It's amazing. In my life, I can get out of bed in the morning, and if I have a hundred people who think that I'm killing it, but my wife doesn't, I can barely get through the day. Conversely, if I have a hundred people in my life who think I'm a loser, but my wife is in my corner, I get up and I go do it again. It's amazing the power of that relationship in a life. And what I want you to see today, beyond even what I'm sharing, I want you to see how this fleshes out at least in one marriage here at Trinity. Take a look.
1: Um, we met um, 35 years ago at Trinity eighty three Fulton, and um, we have uh, we got married 34 years ago, and we have three daughters: uh, 20, or let see, I'm sorry, 30, um, 31, 29, and 25. And they're all married, and we have uh, two grandsons um, at 13 months and four and a half months. Very
0: cool. And you guys have been here at Trinity Church for how
1: long? Uh, 22 years. Uh, respect is often not, um, I, I would say it's, it's more misunderstood. Mm-hmm. Um, it's easy for women to show love and receive love, but a lot of people don't, you know, they, they don't, how do they... Show respect, and um, and so I think just one of the things would be um, just talking, talking to Bruce, not down talking him or um, you know ordering him to do things or handing him the honey do list you know as soon as he walks in the door, and um, just um, letting him be the leader of the home, giving in to his desires and needs, and uh, is a way of showing uh, respect.
2: I think a lot of us, when we get home after a busy day at work uh, or a busy day doing whatever we're doing, um, we need to maybe just kind of uh, chill out a little bit. And so I would come home. Uh, some people read newspapers, some people watch TV. Um, I I would click into my computer and you know check on some some financial stuff, let's say, and um, and then let's say that she wanted to. Um, tell me about her day, which she does like to do that, and I would be looking at the computer. I would pride myself on the fact that I could look (laughs) at the computer and listen to her at the same time. I had to move into this mode of what's called active, active listening. So actually stop looking at the computer, even though I could do that and get what she was talking about, but stop looking at the computer, turn around and look at her or you know, where we could actually look each other face-to-face and I would actually or actively listen to what she's saying, which also involves asking questions about what she says if I don't quite get what she's talking about. Mm -hmm. That, to me, Mm -hmm. also is a way that I can demonstrate love to my wife. Mm -hmm. um, And and she receives it that way.
1: So... I... I mean, we fill the Love and Respect series. Um, they they have a DVD series. Um, there's classes, um, you know, that some of the churches might offer. And, um, and or there's conferences all over. You know, you, you could, you know, look up and go to a live conference. And it's good to even brush up on it, you know, every two, three years. Um, there's... You know, there's nothing in, in between, you know, when you there's premarital classes and then, um, and then there's divorce classes, you know, yeah. but you don't have anything in the middle. Yeah. So um, I just felt like it's, it's constantly you need to work at your marriage and it's so worth it. That's
0: good. And we actually plan on offering some marriage enrichment classes in the new year. Keep your eyes open for those. They'll be coming. Let's fill in those last blanks. What are the responses in a marriage... First, husbands sacrificially love. A husband sacrificially loves and a wife willingly follows. That's what God would say. That's the response we ought to live. So here's our game plan this week. Live out God's directed responses towards your spouse. Live out God's directed responses towards your spouse. And I want to say, if you're here today and you're going, you know what, Todd? We actually feel affirmed. We're doing some of this stuff We're doing it relatively well. Praise God. Keep at it. If you're here today going, this is a game changer. I don't know where to start. Can I tell you this? There's always hope. There is always hope. Let me pray. Father God, we come before you today and we just say thank you. Thank you for design. Thank you even for not only the gift of marriage, but then in a sense giving us the instructions to know how it works, how we're to live it out. And we would all say, God, to a person today, none of, this are, of us are doing this as we should. We all have room to grow. But yet, God, for, um, for those of us who especially feel so far away from this design, my prayer would be that you would bring healing, that you would bring forgiveness, you'd bring hope. And God, would we move forward according to your plan and design? We love you,
2: and we pray in the great name of Jesus. Amen.